Thank you for checking out the Media Marketing Podcast, a place where you can learn all things media and marketing related. Don't miss a beat in boosting your business and your brand. In each episode, you'll gain valuable insights, tools, and strategies to apply to your marketing efforts. And now your host, Brian Cargill. Arlene, thank you for joining me today. I am very excited to interview you, talk about philanthropy, talk about all of the wonderful things that you do with your, uh, with your book and with your organization, your consulting. Um, and I want to try something a little bit different today where we can, I can break down your bio, the, your, the introduction that we have just kind of line by line. Cause I feel like a lot of time I, I read the whole bio and then we just kind of pick up, but there's some good stuff in there. Um, but before we get started, thank you, Arlene. How's your day going? Brian, my day is great, and I am thrilled to be here with you and share my wisdom and get to know you better. Definitely. And um, yeah, let's, we can just go in line by line, and then we can get into all the good stuff, too, because you're a great speaker, and uh, we have a lot of common uh, interests in the, the kind of Toastmasters arena, and I always like learning more about finances, but just going through your introduction the first line is arlene is a speaker and best-selling best-selling author of give to live so just breaking down that sentence alone give to live is your book that you wrote there it is (laughs) give to live is the book i wrote uh, to talk about philanthropy and break down philanthropy for people do you want to hear the whole story about Give to Live? Mm, yeah, I think, I think that's what people want to hear. Because I'm always fascinated, um, you know, for a lot of authors, there's a story, you know, the book itself is a story, but then there's a story about how the book came to fruition. And, and uh, yeah, maybe you can unpack some of that. Yeah, and, you know, marketing, which is what you help people do, is such a big part of it. Um, I am not a natural writer. In fact, in college, I was a photography major. The reason I was a photography major, one is because I love taking pictures. But the second reason was because on my college application, I didn't have to write even a paragraph on it. I just had to submit pictures. So writing never came natural to me. Numbers did. And when I realized photography was just a hobby, I quickly got involved in banking and financial services, which was a lot of fun. And I've always feel that money is a great tool when you know how to use it wisely. Well, I spent 20 years in the trust and investment world helping people grow their money, preserve their money. And that was on Wall Street in the 80s. And I got to experience sexual harassment, the glass ceiling, and wage discrimination, which while I was in it wasn't horrible. But when I got married and had two daughters, all of a sudden, it came full circle. How could I be a mother of two daughters and be in in an industry that was not supportive of women. And I wanted to lead by example for my daughters. So I went from the financial services industry um, into nonprofit fundraising. And that happened when my husband and I moved our family from the East Coast to the West Coast. And I didn't wanna go back and work for a large financial institution that was kind of product of the month. Uh, I saw a career coach. Everything came up, philanthropy and benevolence. And I looked at her and said, how do you make money at that? Well, ultimately, I got a position with the Oregon Community Foundation, where I worked primarily with money managers, attorneys, and I brought in 30 to 40% of all giving statewide. During the, Yeah. And that was over $90 million in nine years of current assets. And who knows for testamentary gifts, hundreds of millions of dollars. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. And 
during that time, I, I put together the 20 years in the trust world and nine years in nonprofit fundraising. And I realized that a lot of people don't realize how to give. They don't know how to give. They don't think they can give. And therefore, it's just for wealthy people. But I knew differently from my personal experience, from working with people, and I decided I wanted to make giving attainable to everyone. And that inspired me to write the book, Give to Live, Make a Charitable Gift You Never Imagined. Now, you might ask, that's great, but Give to Live, the book was a six-year process. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah, maybe you can kind of yeah go through that as well. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, like I guess any anything that's great takes time to build. So the fact that it took you six years must mean it's really great. And um, you know, I was looking at the reviews on Amazon, and actually you have a lot of great reviews on there, which we might jump into a little later in the the speech or in the presentation or in the interview. But um, <laughs> it's early in the morning. A big thank you to our sponsors over at songtub.com. That's right, song or music and a tub, like a bath, but more fun to say, tub, tub. Anyway, you can check out Songtub's website for any of your music needs. In fact, the song playing in the background right now is from Songtub. So why pick them over anyone else? Well, they curate the music. And I know the guys, so that means I know that they're selecting great music for your project. A lot of other companies will brag about how many songs they have, maybe 100,000, 200,000, maybe even a million. But honestly, I don't have time for that. I don't have the time to just sit down and go, next, 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 a song, not so great. You know, trying to figure out where the best music is. Songtub.com, great place to get your music. And now I'm excited to offer you the first month for free if you go to songtub.com slash pro, P-R-O, and we have a promo code for you. Yes, that's right. My name, your host, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, and that will give you your first month free to have access to a huge music library that you can use towards your next video project, podcast, or any of your general audio needs. Anyway, back to the show. Yeah, so I, I told people I was going to write a book. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then there were a few, two or three good friends who every year, a couple times a year for literally four years would say, how's the book coming? How's the book coming? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I was like, oh crap, I have to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, writing the book was two book coaches and a book strategist. Huh. The first book I wrote was geared towards financial advisors, professionals, CPAs, and I hired, I was thrilled with it, and then I hired a strategist slash editor. We had a 15-minute conversation, Brian, and I, she convinced me that I wrote the book to the wrong audience, so I had to trash it wow. and, and reframe the whole book geared towards individuals like you and your brother and your parents and people who are completely clueless about finances. And from that great coaching and advice, I came up with my next book, Give to Live, Make a Charitable Gift You Never Imagined. And it is an amazing marketing tool mm -hmm. um, that most speakers should consider creating a book of their own definitely yeah it probably adds to the credibility it's kind of proof of concept it's all of your ideas compiled there whether or not whoever is hiring you as a speaker reads the book at least they kind of have an idea and it shows validation right exactly having that book gives you the credibility it gives you another way to market and the book is the way I created my book, there's so many amazing ways to market it. Uh, for example, while it was in production and I was still drafting each chapter, Brian, I was out still speaking and presenting. And one of the things that I did is I had little index cards at the table for people to one, leave a comment, 
and two, give me their contact information so I could let them know when the book came out. And number three, they were added to a drawing at that meeting for a free copy of Give to Live. So when I was presenting at, you know, conferences for the Financial Planning Association or state planning councils, I was collecting all of these emails and all it cost me was uh, a drawing for, I think I gave away about a half a dozen books during that time. But I had a full, full list of advisors who were interested in the book and the concept of the book. So that was one great way to market even before the book was on the shelf. Yeah, a lot of kind of email update. Were you giving updates along the way too? Or was it just, hey, once the book is finalized or hey, if you want to jump into this drawing, you know, do X, Y, and Z? Yeah, that's a great question. So it was, I, you know, in January, I started using these cards and maybe the first three quarters, I would do maybe a quarterly update about the book. But then within the last month before the book was published, Brian, I went full on with a marketing campaign. And all those emails that I collected, I was sending out one, like a highlight from chapter one, mm. and be looking for it coming live. And I, I did those every week. And then literally the week before, I did it every other day. And then I had a campaign when I launched the book for like 99 cents for all the for, uh, Kindle, the electronic copy. So it really drove a lot of people to buy that 99 cent ebook. Uh, which helped get bestseller status on Amazon, which is really super cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and I can tell by how passionately you speak about this. Like it was probably, it sounds like it was an exciting process. I know sometimes that can be a little bit more challenging or, or maybe it's looking back, it, it seems okay. But, um, I, or maybe it was the fact that the strategist was there along the way guiding you through this process, but it seems like it was, it was, it was a good, good overall experience. It was, overall, it was a great experience, Brian. And that strategist held my hand and guided me the whole way. I couldn't have done it without her. Uh, I used Niche Pressworks, N-I-C-H-E. So I retained all the rights of my book. Uh, what, uh, one other thing that's super cool about my book. That's where is, you published it was Niche Pressworks? Yes. Okay. And I okay. highly recommend Nicole at Niche and her team. Cool. Um, yeah, they're a really sharp group and they, they really hold your hand through the whole process. It's a very interactive process. Going through it sucked. <laughs> it was awful. Oh, it was awful, Brian. And <laughs> but, but it's probably cool to see the result because like, you're a very results driven person. So it's like once you got to once you pushed through whatever it was and you saw that on the other side of it, people were engaging with your book. They were part of because I, I think to a degree you built somewhat of a small community of people that are, um, you know, interested givers um, and just, you know, interested in learning more about financial uh, tips. Yeah, it, it was a great process looking back, going through it. You know, it's hard just like anything else when something doesn't come natural to you and you have to figure in the activities you have to do every day to get there. And, you know, eventually it does pay off. Um, and it's been remarkable. You know, when I go speak places now, people buy the book ahead of time and give everyone an autographed copy. So... I'm driving sales that way. It's, it's a great, it's been really great and useful. Yeah, that's awesome. What, what year did, did you publish the book? It What's came been? out in November of 18. 2018. So about two years and you're still starting to see traction. I wonder how, how many years it kind of takes for a book to be out before people kind of get a, a good sense for it. Um, it seems like there's always a really big push. As soon as people publish the book, there's a big 
push and then it's and then you're just trying to keep that momentum going and i think yeah like what you're doing you're going around and kind of doing book talks uh, you know kind of on the road doing these small performances like a uh, like a musician would on the road yeah i mean there's a lot i i teach when i speak you know i can talk to a group of donors who've already given and thank them I can talk to a group of potential donors and inspire and motivate them to give. I can teach boards how to give and get involved more effectively. I teach development and nonprofit staff how to up their fundraising. And I also do a lot in the professional advisor world. Like how, if you really want to be in a relationship with your client because financial services and estate planning, you know, those are all relationship driven industries. You know, philanthropy is an amazing way to engage with your clients, their children and retain assets ultimately under management. So yeah. a lot to learn there. No, that's great. And then, yeah, when you work with someone like yourself, an advisor, um, you can kind of take a holistic approach to their, uh, you know, their financial picture and let them know, you know, kind of what would be, you know, under their you know, financial circumstances, what, what they can give and what's an appropriate amount. Right. Because most people think one charity begins at home, which it does. I mean, if you can't take care of your family, it's hard to take care of other people as well. But chair, it doesn't end there. We, we all have the ability to give, whether it be our time or our money, and it really makes us feel good. We self-actualize when we're giving to others. And, and I like to look, I always pose the question, Brian, have you ever considered that philanthropy at its core is spirituality? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Definitely has. Uh, I mean, it's altruistic. And yeah, when you when you think about spirituality, you know, a prayer, you might be praying for people to do well. And then if you're giving, it's a kind of a similar effect. You're kind of doing something without expectation in return, right? Right. And whether you pray to the environment, right, our natural resources, our land, our water, or whether you pray to social services it's all that that generosity of gratitude and self-actualization and being focused on something larger than ourselves and that's kind of what philanthropy is and that's what spirituality is yeah and you're kind of yeah, voting with your dollar you're you're wanting you're making an impact with with your money there um and i guess yeah bring it back i think this is a great segue bringing it back to the intro which i we've really deviated from but now sentence two is she works with professional advisors and their clients to help build relationships to engage the next generation through leadership and philanthropy so maybe you can talk about how the how this impacts uh, future generations yeah so you know I'm a boomer and my kids are millennials and there's so much hope and potential in millennials and they're angry at us for what we haven't done. Philanthropy is a great platform to come together and talk about our core values, our purpose in life and how we want to be remembered. If we start to engage our children in these discussions, we open up so much. Uh, and I'm gonna share a story here. My mother had pancreatic cancer about eight, nine years ago and, and passed away. And it was some of the most heartfelt, difficult discussions I ever had with my mother during this time. But one of the things that I learned from her was to give generously. And I wanted to teach that to my children. With part of the inheritance that I received from my mother, we created a donor advised fund with the Oregon Community Foundation. Now a donor advised fund is, I like to call it a mini private foundation. 
you have all of the fun of philanthropy without any of that administration, investments, none of that stuff. When we created that fund, my husband and I learned so much from our daughters. We sat down and we were trying to figure out how do we want the money of our fund invested? A main investment pool or a socially responsible pool? And before my husband and I could say anything, Brian, our youngest daughter perks up and says, socially responsible, of course. Why would we choose anything else? And we were so proud of her, right? At the time, she had just had her bat mitzvah. She was maybe 14, 15 years old. <laughs> and my older one, we went to go make our first grant, our first grant from the fund. And... My oldest was in high school, and high schools around here have a suggested donation to their foundation to ensure that there's art programs and full-time teachers. And we're happy to make that donation because we can. And as we're writing out our donation form, our oldest daughter says, why would we give to Lincoln High School? They're the wealthiest high school in Portland. Why don't we give to a high school in greater need? Mm -hmm. And we figured out a way to do both, but we learned so much from our children and they learned so much from us. So when an advisor starts to engage the parents in philanthropy and the children in philanthropy, what happens is they're built, they're starting a relationship with that next generation. And too many times, advisors wait till their client dies before they reach out to the kids. And then the kids are like, who are you? Mm -hmm. I don't, you work for my parents. And the typical loss rate is 60 to 90% of your client's assets will walk out the door within the first year of your client dying. And it's all because of lack of relationship. And if you start your clients talking about philanthropy, have them create small donor advice funds where you can meet those kids and engage with them now, they won't be strangers when your client dies, gosh darn it, and you will retain assets and have a happy family and assets under management. Yeah, that's great. And you're actually able to meet their needs. And like you said, a lot of those assets are walking out the door and you're able to continue the great work that's already been established. Uh, yeah. And then I know with a lot of, well, a lot of those things uh, in those industries, you know, passing it on to the next generation, keeping businesses within the family is really key. Um, one of the things from Amazon, I was reading one of the testimonials and someone said, from your book, ensure family values are passed down and sustained. So I think that sustained part is uh, really crucial. And uh, it, it should, it's a pretty fun experience, right? You probably get to learn a lot more about your parents. And as a, the parents get to learn a lot more about your kids, that was phenomenal in the story that the daughter right away, yeah, your daughter right away said, hey, you know, this is, of course, this is what we're doing. It was no brainer for her. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we were just so proud of the young women they've become because they're so thoughtful about others. Um, and I would have never done, experienced that had we not created a donor advice fund and had those discussions about, you know, well, well, what matters to you? And they shared it. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's pretty exciting. And I, um, you know, you were talking about and this is getting away from uh, marketing, but I think this is fascinating. I just want to go in down this direction to a little, but you talked about um, philanthropy as another form of spirituality. And I had in the show notes written uh, talking about altruism and just kind of giving without anything expected in return. Do you want to talk about that? And uh, maybe some of the, I don't know if you have offhand some of the psychological benefits of donating, um, but I know oh, yeah. there's... Yeah, there's real hard science. There's a lot of science out there. And there's actually um, Michael Norton, who's an associate business professor at Harvard. He partnered with Elizabeth Dunn from the University of British Columbia. And together they did this whole study on, on happiness. What they did is they took random students on the campus of British Columbia. And they were given, they were asked if they wanted to participate in an experiment. 
And in the experiment, they were given an envelope with either five or $20 and the, with instructions to either spend it on yourself or spend it on other people. And it was mixed up. You know, you could get $20 to spend on yourself or $5 to spend on someone else. It, it was all mixed up. And at the end of the day, they were gonna call you and see how you felt. And most participants felt that helping, you know, giving to someone else, and there was a Starbucks on the campus at UBC, and so it was a very popular <laughs> place for this uh, experiment, and a lot of people bought coffee. And when they bought coffee for other people, they felt really good and excited about it. And when they bought coffee for themselves, they kind of forgot, oh yeah, I did do that. Well, this study was taken up by Pew Trust and they did it around the world. And basically the premise is, if you wanna be happy, spend money on other people and not yourself. Wow. So, <laughs> there's real hard science. They've actually written a book from that. Um, Plus, George Mall, who's a uh, neuroscience in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, he did uh, fMRIs, the magnetic resonating imaging of the brain, with people having discussions about philanthropy and giving. And the prefrontal cortex of the brain lights up when people give money away. So that Prefrontal cortex is also the same part of your brain that lights up when you're having great food and sex. So just <laughs> yeah, out there with those primal needs that people have. So yeah, right. So there's real hard science on like it makes you feel good. There's real physical changes when you give and you're generous. You know, I think back for myself, it starts kind of stirring some ideas for me. The times that I've donated, uh, those days really stand out in my mind. Um, I can kind of remember where I was when I made that donation. And so, whereas like you said uh, earlier, if, you, if you're just buying a coffee, buying for something for yourself, you're just kind of going on through the motions of life. But I would say, yeah, probably when you make that first big donation to whatever organization of your choice, um, you're going to remember that. And that's going to stay with you for, for life, right? Yeah. And, it, and you know, I, the fact that you use big donation scares me because Big is very different for everyone. And I, I hate that philanthropy and philanthropists have been hijacked by the ultra wealthy. A philanthropist is someone who loves humankind. And if you love humankind, even during COVID-19, if you call someone who is lonely, you are being a philanthropist because you're helping them out. I mean, how often are we reading daily about the grief and the loneliness out there? So being a philanthropist doesn't have to be a big dollar amount. It could be acts of kindness and generosity that are needed as well. Although my book does mainly focus on financial giving because that's my expertise, I don't want to belittle uh, people's time and volunteer efforts because that's so important as well. Definitely. Yeah, I've been playing around with the idea uh, for, my, for my own business for next year, kind of putting a, uh, allocating time to donate. Um, and that, you know, my volunteer time as a, as a video producer uh, would be worth thousands of dollars, but, you know, I keep that in my own internal records and let them know. And uh, it's great to be able to do something like that that has a lasting impact. Um, and so, yeah, being able to give your time, give your services or donating uh, financially. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to, to give. Yes. And your time as a videographer is very, very valuable. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's, it is uh, one of the most challenging uh, creative endeavors. I, I would put it, put it up there with writing your book. Um, but yeah, is there anything? Uh, I think last time we talked, we, you had some investment, like little cards. Do you, have you still been using those? So I have my values cards. Yeah. Give, give to live values cards. And these are an activity that I use to help people identify their core values. Uh, you know, obligation, loyalty, kindness, integrity, 
teamwork. These are usually done in person and with the new changing of COVID and everything going virtual, I've been taking a new approach to that where I have people, instead of shuffling through cards, I have them take a blank piece of paper and basically write whatever their value is on it and hold it up in the screen so I could get a nice, you know, group Zoom screenshot. And I found that to be much more freeing for people. When I ask them to list their top 10 values and choose one, it's much quicker than having them go through a deck of, you know, my 40 cards for them to choose one and narrow it down. So I'm not sure how these will be used in the future. I yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, that's business in general. I mean, those might morph, those, those might morph into a digital copy of something or right. who knows. Or just hand them out blank and let people just write their own on and put it in their wallet to walk around. Oh, that's I don't very know. cool. But it's changing and that's another great tool for advisors to use with their clients, nonprofits to use with their donors, to really have people think strategically, what are the core values that are key to me, that I want to pass on to my family, that I want to see in the nonprofits I support, that I want to see in the advisors I work with, whether they be financial advisors or CPAs. The values, you want them to be consistent throughout your life. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, so you help uh, your clients kind of identify their values too. I think that goes beyond anything a financial advisor uh, I think what a lot of people don't think of a financial advisor helping you identify some of these core things that are true to who you are and uh, figure out ways for you to actually support your values. Yeah, well, I think most, um, I think there are advisors who are starting to become more value oriented and have more heartful discussions with their clients. Um, but yeah, I have an eight-step program, the Give to Live program that I bring people through to identify their current giving and create future giving. Of course, teach them all the charitable tools they need to know so we could discuss them and how they fit in their plan and identify, you know, what are their core what do they want to create in terms of their vision about giving? Do they want their family involved? Um, so it's an eight-step process that goes from identifying your values to your organization, to who's on your team, what options you should use, and ultimately implementing the plan so you can be the philanthropist you never imagined. Oh, man. That's, that's a pretty holistic approach to... Um... Yeah, all, all your whole family and just making sure that there's alignment and that there's a plan in place. Because, uh, yeah, without a plan, you're kind of just flat in the water. You're not going to be able to do anything, you know, uh, without a without a beacon, without a guiding, uh, you know, North Star for what you're for your, what you're doing, what your family's doing. How often do you guys revisit that plan? Uh, is it kind of an annual reassessment? Or? Yeah, so we look at our plan the, the Oregon Community Foundation sends out a packet twice a year with the value of our fund and where we've given. So we usually coincide twice a year and sit down and have just a philanthropy discussion on where did we give last year? How are we feeling this year? And it's changed over the time. Like when my daughter was a senior in high school, we gave to Abby's closet because that helps with prom dresses. And you, so it changes over time as the girls grow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because we all, we all change and everyone, uh, what, what's more important changes over time. So I think that's great. Um, 
Here, I'm going to give you another marketing tip because you're. A yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was about to ask you. I was like, so you've you've done some email marketing, and then um, you've done some other, uh, you know, social media marketing. But yeah, feel free to throw another tip out there. Yeah. So social media is so critical now, and this is something I started. I'm going to say, at least eight years ago, people were like, "You got to be on the web," and I'm like. I don't know how to be on the web. You got to be doing something. So I started my social media by posting one positive quote a week. Because I've always been into positive quotes. Then it grew to two a week. And over the eight-year period, I've grown that to... On Tuesdays and Thursdays, there's curated articles in the industry of wealth planning, charitable planning, estate planning, general information. The rest of the days I do the positive quotes and I'm about to pull out some of those quotes and replace them with some Facebook lives and with me going live talking about philanthropy. So it's changed and increased over time but you have to have a presence out there. It cracks me up because here's my tip, Brian. I did these, you know, eight years ago. The same quotes for I for a while I had like a different quote every day. And now it's like three months. It's on a loop. Same quotes. I regurgitate them. I repost them. And no one knows. And everyone loves them. I can't tell you. How many times, Brian? Hey, you found what up, works. <laughs> right? Someone comes up to me, they go, I never respond to you, but I always look forward to your quotes. Interesting. And yeah, there's something, you were onto something there because that's what the big uh, Instagram sites or Instagram channels and handles is just because um, someone's putting a quote every so often, but you did that eight years ago. Uh, yeah, kudos to you for seeing that that was an opportunity. Do you know even where that came from or just you, you saw something you're like, I want to share this with people and it, it got good results? You know, it was something, I'm a pretty basic person. I don't consider myself um, fancy, but I like nice things. And when I want to do something, I'm driven and I want to do it well, but I also want to figure it in to my life in a way that I can manage it and it's not overwhelming. So when I really sat there and said, well, what kind of social media post am I going to do? And people are like, you should start a blog and you should start a podcast and you should start. And maybe that was later on, maybe not eight years ago, but maybe four years ago, people were telling me this. And I really did some personal assessment here. Is that me? Can I do that? So I looked at the blog, the blog, and then I went back to Brian. I hate to write. I'm a photography major. The book took me six flipping years. No, I'm not blogging. Just not going to happen. <laughs> this exact same thing happened to me. I, I was like, I want to write. And then, yeah, you got to play to your strengths. Right. You have to play to your strengths. Then people were like, oh, you should do a podcast. And I'm like, uh-uh, too much work. I would rather be a podcast guest, like on your terrific show, right? <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I really figured what would work for me, and that's how I started. And each little thing I'm in, including, I have a strategy and a plan to make it super simple. Um, and, and that's how you have to do it because, you know, yes, I have my virtual assistant and I have a lot of fabulous colleagues in support, but ultimately, what can you figure in and manage that represents you, that you're comfortable with, that can be maintained if, I don't know, your virtual assistant, something happened. That's how the approach I take for marketing, but I'm telling you that those simple things of those positive quotes shock me every time when someone says, I love them. I, and they recycled, recycled, recycled. Too interesting. Yeah. That's, um, 
No, I like how you brought it up that it needs to be something that's manageable, something that you can balance with everything you ever, already have going on. But it sounds like the quotes that you've picked uh, are just timeless. You've done a good job curating things, you know, like like the same Mozart classical song, you know, people, you know, it's thousands of years old, but it's still relevant. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, my new, I just got a new virtual assistant and she actually wants to come up with some new quotes and pictures. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. But I mean, uh, you know, that's just her wanting to do it. It seems like what the market is telling you is that people are okay with uh, seeing regurgitated quotes. Yeah, and they don't realize, you know, and it's not like they realize I'm regurgitating it on a quarterly basis. I don't think people know that, but it works. So I'm just giving my tips and tricks to everyone else out there for marketing. (laughs) I think that's great. Yeah, because a lot of people... um, yeah, it's really at a big loss when you put a lot of time and effort into like one flyer that's specific to something uh, that's very time sensitive and you can't reuse that. You've picked a quote, which is evergreen. You're going to be able to reuse that over and over again. And that's the best, I think, is a really good use of your marketing dollars is to invest in things that are going to be reusable. Cool. Yeah. Here's, here's another cool thing that's marketing uh, related. So my book give to live, make a charitable gift you never imagine is person customizable. You can, a financial advisor or a nonprofit can customize that, the book. And they pay to have their logo on it. Like it would be, this is a gift from OHSU with their logo on it or something. So that's one way to customize the book. Another way to customize the book, and this is all, you know, they have to pay for this, is to have the foreword written by your president. So there's no foreword in the book. I only have a preface. So they can write a foreword for the book. That's option two. And option three customization is they can have their own chapter of donor or client stories on giving put into the book. Interesting. So it's another marketing tool that takes it to the next level where they can have me come in, they can have their own chapter. And this is pretty much a timeless book on giving strategies. Yeah, that is too cool. I have not heard of anyone doing that before where you make a a customizable book and you actually allow people to write the foreword and put that in there. And it sounds like you're willing to work with whatever the organization is, if they want signed copies or if they want to add in their own blurb to the book. That's, that's awesome. Um, Have you teamed up with any, you know, nonprofits in the, the Portland area? Not to put you on the spot or anything, but I've worked with a number. Of, no one's customized the book yet, but I am working with one organization now, and I'm not going to say who it is to customize yeah. it because they don't want to know. But I've worked with a number of nonprofits um, locally. I mean, both individually and when I was with the Community Foundation. <laughs> yeah, I guess where I was more. Yeah, that that's a, that's a great answer because I, I guess I was more wondering the other kind of. I guess you're able to cater to anyone at corporations, nonprofits, uh, small business, um, any industry as well. Cause, uh, there's, there's always opportunities to be able to give. Um, yeah, what, and even when you look at corporations at giving, um, there's a lot to be said for companies that give their employees time to volunteer or raise money there's so much goodwill around companies and giving time money it's helps your business too yeah um so we've talked about a lot of different ways for people to give and you've we sprinkled a handful of marketing techniques in there too. What would you say to somebody that's just trying to go from uh like zero to one uh maybe they've never given before um would you have them at, you know analyze how much money they have and do a percentage or do you just uh, tell them or do you start with the values and find what organization do you like that's a, that's a great question the first thing i do is i start with my personal reflection guide and people can find that on my facebook group page i can send you the link so you can forward people there in the notes 
but on my Give to Live Now Facebook page, you can get your personal reflection guide. And do I have one in front of me? Yes. You came prepared. You have everything right there. <laughs> your personal reflection guide. When I work individually with someone, we're going to spend more time on it. But this basically has three parts. Identify what matters to you, where you actually list out the organizations you give time or money to and why. The second part is rating how purposeful you feel about your giving. You know, I'm underwhelmed, I don't give, to I am fulfilled, I am a philanthropist. <laughs> I haven't met any of those people yet. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so uh, what would that person look like? That person would just be, or they feel like they've already given enough or they're... Uh... You know, I think that person's kind of like your, your Bill Gates. And I, I can't say that. I have met some people when I was at the Community Foundation who are extremely generous philanthropists. Um, but typically, people fall somewhere in the middle. And they feel good about what they do, but they feel they could probably do more. But they don't know how to or don't think they can. Then the last part of the reflection guide is just, what is your charitable dream? Like, what could you create? Write down a few sentences. So it's important before we focus on our values to really identify where you are and where you wanna go. So reflecting on the past and creating your future vision is the first step of the Give to Live philanthropic planning system. That's awesome. And people can find that on your website. It's on my Facebook page, give to live now slash. Yeah. Well, I, Facebook you, slash that. Yeah, that'd be great. But I think that that's awesome. Cause that, that kind of brings me, I was wondering how can people learn more? How can people find out uh, about the work that you do? I, I I'll put a link to the book in the, sh in the show notes uh, on Amazon, but is yeah, there can, a good website for you? Yeah, you can link to my website, ArleneCogan.com. It is currently under construction. So the old one's up there, but the new one will be coming soon. I'm really excited about that. And my Facebook group. So I'll make sure you get those two proper connections. Tell me more about the Facebook group, because that's, that's another marketing um, kind of technique uh, where you're able to yes. build a community and answer questions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, there you are on the marketing. Um, the Facebook group is for like-minded and like-valued people who want to make a difference through leadership and philanthropy. On that page, I will be doing my Facebook Lives and giving out other free tools like the reflection guide and some more advanced information than you would see on my website, which is more static. So you'll be able to interact with like-minded people, uh, find out where, what tools there are. It's just a little more interactive than the website. No, I think, I think that's great. And what they, I'm sure it's kind of a community feel, or like, you know, if someone does some kind of donation, you see that someone else is doing it and you kind of, not peer pressure, but you see that other people are, are making changes. Maybe it's time for me to make one as well, right? <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't thought about pe people posting where they have given today. That's a good, that's an interesting thought to consider for my, my Facebook group. I haven't thought about that. It, it was much more, more technical or general, but not specific to people giving. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing ideas out in the dark. I I'm still working on building up my own kind of Facebook page uh, for this group for the media marketing podcast. And so, yeah, any ideas or thoughts you have would be great, but um, I always trying to think about how to make it kind of interactive, um, which is a challenge to do in social media because sometimes it feels like it's a bunch of headlines and making that human connection through text can be challenging. It's even challenging through Zoom. You know, we're here in the, in the digital age and trying to make those personal relationships, building those, you know, for me, I think being in person is a big part of that. You can read people's body language and you can kind of uh, 
you're not feeling kind of pressed for time when you have a zoom call or you're on social media. It's kind of like you're going from one thing to the next. You're not having this actual um, interaction with another human being. Yeah. It's, it's very different. And in some ways it saves you a lot of time, the zoom, cause you're not traveling. Right. You, and the meetings just cut or being cut from typically like an hour coffee to a half hour time. So there are a lot of changes and, you know, you don't know that I could be sitting here in my pajama bottoms and it's an interesting venue, the, the whole Zoom. And typically I like to sit face to face with someone, but I don't think we're ever going to be meeting the same way that we did before COVID. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered, yeah, because a lot of your work is consulting and meeting with people one on one. So you're probably a lot of meetings have turned to the Zoom yeah. arena. But yeah, even when we meet in person, it'll probably only be under extremely necessary needs to be in person. If whatever you can get done remotely will be the first choice and meeting in person might be plan B. Whereas I think it it was the other way around um yeah. previously. Um yeah, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Sometimes it's nice to both be on a computer. Then you can show probably clients screen shares of what they're, you know, walking them through certain things. But yeah, and it, we're in a new, in a new age here where everyone, um, you know, being able to adapt to technology. I think people were starting to, and this has now been a big catalyst for us all as a society to um, have some kind of social presence. Totally. And what I also think is great about it is, yay, for, for working people and women specifically who've had to like schlep hours to get to a job. And now people are just as productive, except maybe those who are dealing with homeschooling children. No. People are, are productive and not wasting the time commuting and I think there's a lot to be learned and I know business, you know, businesses aren't going to want to have to pay that rent anymore when they have efficient people who are commuting or working from home. It's going to be different. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but the important thing I think for marketing right now, Brian, and you could correct me if I'm wrong because you're more of a marketer than I am, is that you're out there and you're doing being visible. You can't shrink now. Now is the time to go full force. And, and when I say full force, taking into account the complete change circumstances and systems are slow and all that stuff, but you need to be present and out there marketing because if you're not, there are 20 other people who are and no one's going to see you. Yeah, they're getting that. Um, I mean, Facebook isn't free, but they're getting that real estate, that visual real estate, uh, and they're they're using it before you, uh, you know, taking advantage of it, you know, of the opportunity yeah. at hand. It's very very relatively cheap real estate on the on the screen, whereas opposed to in the past, you would have had to pay for uh, direct mail, uh, flyers, uh, billboards. All of these are very expensive, and so it's a relatively inexpensive medium. But yeah, if you haven't started already, I would. It's one of those things where it takes while. It takes a while to kind of get your footing in the social world. You've been doing this for eight years now. I'm sure year one and two, you're kind of still figuring things out. And as time has gone by, you start to realize, well, okay, what's working? The quotes, and you keep rehashing those. And I, I and you only know that by doing it. Right. And I was on a call the other day, and there's. Right now, I have to say, there's so much great free content out there. People are giving stuff away for free. I'm trying to take advantage of it. And the other day I was on a call, maybe you were on it, with NSA with Amy Kilmer. Were you on that call the other night? I saw the email come through. I wasn't able to join. Oh. Mondays okay. have been tough. But yeah, maybe you can give the audience a little recap on it. What she was really talking about social media and using zoom or whatever platform you choose there are just way too many of them that annoys me but that's another conversation um she basically said you have to start now doing the zoom meetings or webinars or whatever it is because in a year 
you will have developed that muscle. And if you start in a year, you will have missed the boat. And that was my biggest takeaway from her is do as many virtual presentations as you can because that is the wave of the future. So get out there and market, be visible on social media and do as many meetings as possible. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you have like this online kind of database of all the work that you've done over time. I know I'm kind of bummed uh, right before we started this as like, Oh, should I start up Facebook and try to make this a live event, but maybe we'll do a, a future recap meeting uh, and go on Facebook live. But I think that's great. That's one of my goals too, is to do more uh, live speakings, even doing this podcast live. Uh, you know, maybe that can be my tip for you is if you do decide to do a podcast, doing it in the live arena, then you don't have to edit as much because uh, it was live. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> right. Well, once I get my series up, um, I'd be delighted to have you on my Facebook lives, but I, I think I'm looking at like July to start those. Oh, that'll be here in no time. <laughs> yeah. I know it's already June. <laughs> yeah. June 2nd. I can't believe it. Where's the year going? But I know I everyone, know. everyone's spending time. The days kind of blend together here working from, I already work from home and I think you spend a lot of your days working from home too, but I think it's just the rest of the world, not being on the same kind of track that throws me off. Um, and then not being able to meet with people out of coffee shops, but making the most of it, enjoying the sunshine, which, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we don't want to have this podcast go for too long just so we can get out there and enjoy the day because I think it's supposed to be cloudy the rest of the week. But Arlene, is there uh, anything? Yeah, is there anything you can kind of think of that we haven't covered? I think we covered a lot. And I think this is longer than most of your podcasts, but it's all good. So um, I'm trying okay. to lengthen them. I'm trying to get to the three hour mark at some point, but <laughs> <laughs> yet <Yeah>, not. <laughs> It's, it's, it's uh, remarkable. Podcasts are getting longer and longer. And who would have thought, because three years ago, people said that the attention span is shrinking. People aren't able to concentrate. They have the attention span that's the, the goldfish has now surpassed us. We only can have the attention span of like three seconds. And a goldfish has seven seconds. So, but now uh, with podcasts, that has flipped everything on its head. People want these longer series things. People want to binge watch things. <laughs> so who knows maybe uh, people just want I, I think people are falling more and more in love with the personalities of uh, these people that are putting on the podcast these show hosts and so nice. um, uh, as people get more and more you know authentic and you know vulnerable about who they are I think the audience just wants to know more about that person and, and connect with them yeah and you're you're so sweet every you're an easy person to connect with you're gonna do great and it's been a pleasure brian to be on your media podcast with you arlene yes this has been awesome thank you so much uh it's been a pleasure for me as well we uh thank you for kind of bearing with me as we tried this new format where we went sentence by sentence i will how about this i will finish out the introduction and then we can finally wrap it up we have i just have three more sentences and then we will we'll call it a wrap so um and this might be a good good way to kind of segue so finishing out the the introduction for arlene she is a certified financial planner arlene began her career on wall street which she told us earlier and she has spent more than 20 years in the trust and investment industry desiring the opportunity to give back and lead by example for her daughters arlene later helped lead the sixth largest community foundation and development for almost a decade uh, some notable presentations that she's given, the Philanthropic Profit Pipeline, Culture of Philanthropy, and Give to Live. So with that, please check out Arlene's Facebook group. Please, uh, and all of this will be in the show notes. Please check out her book and check out her website, Arlene Kogan, which is under construction. So hopefully by July, which I think is when this podcast will be released. Um, people will be Perfect. able to check it out. Arlene, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Have a great rest of your day. Definitely. Enjoy the sun. All right. That's a wrap. Again, I want to say a very big thank you to Arlene for coming on to the show. This has been awesome talking about philanthropy. And with that, because of this episode, we are going to be donating to Campaign Zero, which is a nonprofit focused on police reformation, procedural changes, and just in 
the state that the world is in right now. Um, we need some changes. We need some things that are going to be beneficial for all of us today and for future generations. Um, it's important to take action now while there's momentum, while there is a lot of thought and um, you know, challenging things that are happening out there in the world. So I think taking a stand, making a difference, doing what you can, whether that's a phil philanthropic, like Arlene has talked about in this episode, donating your time, donating your resources, whatever you can do to help others can really make a difference. And so at this time, I think it's important for people to step up and make a difference.